There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. My name is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Miner. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Michelle Tinsley. Hello. Longtime um, team member, employee at Intel. Yes, very long time. <laughs> holding many different offices, such as Director of Transactions, Retail Transactions, Director of Mobility and Payment Security, Director of Retail Sales. And you are currently the on the board of directors of Quick Trip, and Centauri has been to a Quick Trip. So right here, love that place. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheap gas, good soda, fabulous food. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. everything you could need in one spot. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to have you here. Okay. Um, we started, uh, I think, three or four shows ago, asking the same questions, and what we wanted to start with was what we call three over three. Okay. So what are the top three things that you've learned over the past three years? Okay, well, so I'll start with number one, be your own best coach. Because too many times in life we are hard on ourselves, we are negative. Instead, ask your things like, how could I maybe learn from that? What would I do differently? And also giving yourself a pep talk of, I've got this. I've got the skills. I've got the knowledge. I can contribute. Let me jump in. Uh, the second thing I would say is really lean in and do what you love. Um, and over time, it may change. Uh, I'm, I'm 30 years-ish into a career now, and I'm constantly shifting what I do. But I'm always learning, and I'm always refining. What is it that I love? Where do I want to spend more of my time? And then the third thing I would say is don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to give you an offer or somebody else to make an opportunity. Create your own opportunities. And I recently just left Intel in January with kind of that mindset of, I can start my own company. I can do this. I'm on three boards now and I'm also doing angel investing. So it's kind of fun to kind of dabble in a lot of different areas and no two days are the same. Awesome. That last one I think is such good advice and it's one that I have the hardest time with. Um, a lot of people I, I read, they're like, well, you just need to sit back and let things come to you. And that's the absolute opposite of what my whole life has been. It's been, you know, I'm going to go and do something. So I don't know if there's a balance between those things. If I sometimes maybe I push too hard or yeah, clearly you have to have the skills and some background. Um, you know, I didn't just quit Intel after 25 and a half years for you know like a hope and a prayer, but I had been building for five years, kind of skills and areas where I knew I wanted to go in the future. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I said, "Now's the time to do it." Could I use the excuse of my husband's not working? We need healthcare in our family. There are a lot of reasons I could kind of tell myself to be secure and just stay and take a job I'm not crazy about. But I looked at it and said, nope, no, the time is now to just do it now while I'm young. And if it doesn't work out, it's a big deal. I'll go get a job somewhere else. I know I'm employable. Right. So you're, the next phase of your career is as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur and um, I want to do more and more in the board space. So as I started announcing to some of my customers that I was leaving Intel, I got two more paid board offers. So wow. now I'm on three boards and working with some headhunters on a possible fourth or fifth. So it's interesting because Intel is such a structured and corporate environment. How do you feel that you're going to make the transition from something that is so rigid to being an entrepreneur where your time's your time, your day's your day, you so are your own boss? I progressively moved away from the structure. So 18 years at Intel in finance where we were bringing the structure to every conversation. Any kind of decision making, we needed to influence with data. 
Um, and so when I first started, it was around the budget, you know, how are we doing variance to budget, but as it worked its way up to uh, what was the mini CFO of our Internet of Things business, we were discussing what parts of the business do we sell off, which ones do we keep, where can we add more value. Um, but when I moved out of finance into more of a general management role and running the business, there was a lot more ambiguity, a lot more of the where do I spend my time? Because as a leader, that's the most important thing is looking at who am I going to spend time with and coach and who's got it and needs the freedom to just go run with it. Um, honestly, I did go through a period when a little bit of a setback. We did a reorganization. I was kind of naive and thinking, well, my results will show, you know, I'm, they're going to keep me on staff. I'll be, we had to go from three divisions to two, which was the right thing to do. And I just thought, well, I'll be one of the two GMs. And it, it turned out that I became the director level person. But I, in hindsight, look at that and go, it was the best thing for me because it made me dive in on the marketing skill set, the product formation, the strategy, using Lean Business Model Canvas to, within a company, create new products which I would have never done that. Now that gives me the structure to say I can go out and work with customers and deploy things like Lean Business Model Canvas on a retail problem and, and bring a new skill set. Um, lastly, I did make a move in my last year into sales, which I kind of looked at and said, if I ever am going to run my own business, I need to have the confidence to know that I can develop new business leads into revenue, turn them into you know something hitting the P&L. And so I was on commission, led a team that was across the United States calling on customers. And um, that kind of rounded out my skill set. So when they decide to restructure sales, I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> there was a uh, recent article in Inc. Uh, that was really interesting talking about the myths of leadership or the, the breaking the myths of that people, the, the things that we always say about, you know, um, one of the things that was in there was that if you're a good person, you will do well in your business career. And the Inc. article was saying, that's not true. Like if you want to get ahead, you are going to have to be cutthroat at some point. And the best leaders have been folks that have had to do some nefarious things to get ahead, but I want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I tweak that. I'd say I don't think it's nefarious. I think it's more you have to advocate for yourself. Mm. You have to let others see what the work you've been doing. Mm. Um, so not to be a self-promoter where every conversation you walk into, people start rolling their eyes and going, get out here of we here. go again. Here we go again. We're going to hear how <laughs> wonderful she is, you know. Um, but instead, be able to talk to, no, I have these skills and I think I can do this. Yes, I see it as a challenge or a step up. But if I could do all the things in a job, I'm not going to learn anything. It's not going to be exciting. So, yeah, I'm going to look for those stretch opportunities, those new challenges. Um, I love to ski. So I always tell people there's at one point when you're skiing that both skis are facing straight downhill. And you have to have the knowledge within yourself that, yeah, I'm going to be able to shift my weight and pull myself into a turn and slow down. Or all hell breaks loose and I'm going to be in the hospital with a, you know, right. a yard sale of my ski equipment. And and so sure enough, it, it works fine. And it's, it's again, that managing yourself to know, I've got this. I, I can work my way through this. Love that. Nice. So the idea of leaning in and doing what you love, um, for these folks that are here, maybe that's easier said than done. It's hard, yeah. Because I, I know myself even coming out of high school, going to college, I majored in marketing. Mm. And, and then we hit a pretty good-sized recession in the United States. So I thought, well, you know, I was at University of Oregon, very easy to double major. Okay, I'm not afraid of math. I'll add the finance as a degree, and that way I can interview on either track. Um, turned out that with my marketing degree, the best job offer I got was to go sell paper business forms, or I could go to work for Intel as a financial analyst. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll use the finance degree. And, and so you know, as I did more and more of that, I would constantly get the feedback of, you're not like a normal finance analyst. You know, I'm not the CPA-ish, you know, behind the scenes kind of person. And I was like, well, that's okay. Again, I think everybody brings their own personality and style to things. 
But as I grew in my responsibilities, I started realizing, yes, I do have more of that business creation, business strategy aspect to me as well, which, you know, again, means I can morph and do different things over my career. Did you ever look back and say what what might have been? Oh, God, you had yeah. taken the paper job. <laughs> I'm like, when's the last time I even used a paper business form? So I do think I made the right call. I mean, originally, when I, when I took that job, I thought, well, I'll work for Intel three, five years, and then I'll quit and get my MBA. Um, but what happened was I, I fell in love with the company, the culture, the whole you're never done learning, and then they offered to pay for my MBA. And mm. that's when I actually transitioned to Arizona because I was like – up, started up in Oregon, and there wasn't a whole lot of MBA programs up there at the time. But ASU had a top 20 in the nation evening MBA. And I thought, okay, if they're going to pay for it, I might as well go somewhere good. And, and the rest is history. I loved it here and just stayed. Um, half of my family followed me now, too. Perfect segue into innovation um, from paper forms to where we yeah. are today. And obviously, Intel, I think, has a reputation for innovation. So from when you started, at the end, beginning of that 25 years to where we are today. Mm -hmm. So I can really date myself and say my first <laughs> week at Intel, the, my boss just kind of looked at me and went, I think, I'm sure he was thinking I was a hot mess. He's like, just learn how to use a mouse. Oh. Because at undergrad at University of Oregon, we use DOS-based computers. So I was great with typing or like slash range this and Lotus, you know. But then I, when I was trying to drive the mouse, I'm like, whoa, you know, all over the place. And he's like, oh, good Lord. So the first week was learn how to use a mouse. The second week was learn how to use Excel and Word because I was used to Word Perfect. Um, but over time, obviously, things have really changed. One of my last jobs in Oregon was uh, shutting down the factory that was doing four-inch wafers. Um, it was the very last four-inch wafer factory for Intel. And that was the factory where when Mount St. Helens went off, they started putting sticky tape down outside the factory. And so when you would walk in, you wouldn't bring ash in with you. Oh, wow. And their yields went through the roof. And they're like, hey, maybe there's something to this clean clean room, clean manufacturing kind of thing. So, And they may have gone a little crazy on it now. But um, I moved here to one of the most cutting-edge factories, Fab 12, which is an Ocotillo. And at the time, that was like the gold-plated, amazing factory. And then uh, two years later, I worked on the team that selected all the brand-new 300-millimeter equipment, which is 12-inch wafers. Um, and now it's funny to say that's 18 years old technology. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. You know, I look at those... Over time, you're like, does things really change that much? I'd almost say the industry is now shifting to so much more innovation in software because you can do it very quickly. You can iterate mm. every three weeks with a sprint and then over time figure out what you want to harden into hardware. Um, but you look at what we carry today between a cell phone, wearable, Fitbit. We've got more compute technology on us than the mainframes I was using to close the books as a financial analyst in 1992. Wow. Wow. Would you say that working for, especially as folks, you know, um, think about their first job offers. Do you think that Intel or other major companies are um, really big on innovating from within? So as you were with it, at Intel, did they change with the times or were they kind of um, guarded against? It's a little bit of both. I mean, Intel's history has always been, let's hire people fresh out of college because we, they have a very strong culture and they want to be able to pass on that culture and have people that are willing to you know, learn and absorb I mean, our founder, Andy Grove, would always say only the paranoid survive, and you have to keep learning and adding skill sets um, to, ke to keep with the times. Um, so obviously, being a technology company, there's constant innovation going on, patents, applications, um, you know, again, more in the software space now as well as the hardware. Um, what they've started to do, though, I'd say in the last five, ten years, is start also bringing in, though, some senior people from the industry with mm. domain experience. Um, and I think there's a balance of that of, okay, you've seen what worked and didn't work at, say, multiple different companies. Now let's bring that particular skill set to what we're doing 
in, say, Internet of Things or autonomous driving. Um, so I, I see more of a blend now where they're actually doing not exclusively college hiring, but also this experienced hire. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but um, obviously you don't know that they were talking about patents and filing patents oh, right, right before we got started today. Okay. <laughs> and do you have a sense of how many patents Intel f applies for? Oh, thousands. I mean, as a manager, I had to approve, I would say, easily 100 a year. Um, I know that the, and again, from more of the angel side, hardware patents are, I think, easier to defend and bring a lot of value. I think the software ones are needed, but are less, you can't really hang your hat on them because they're harder to defend. Um, so particularly when we look in an angel investment to go value a company, we will request that the software firms have patents, but it's not as, as much of a priority because I'll also as a business person say, let's look at the barriers to entry. If they've got strategic relationships or a channel partner that's exclusive, that may be actually worth more than the patent yeah. um, because that's hard to replicate and, and it's a very sticky relationship. Got it. Well, something I really wanted to talk to you about, spending 25 years at Intel is probably a fortune, it's obviously a fortune 50, Is it a? it's a huge company. Yeah. 25 years and moving from different departments or divisions, I wanted to talk to you about how, how you navigated the politics of that um, and just being inside of the belly of a corporate beast. I'm sure some of it was wildly rewarding, but also crazy frustrating. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> um, I'm sure that some of these folks are going to find themselves in an environment. So what would your advice be? You were talking about how you do need to promote yourself and stand up for yourself, but mm -hmm. also not be... Yeah, and I don't want to say advertise or manage your brand, uh, which is know what you stand for, know what you want people to know you for. Um, so what I've become known for is a very trustworthy leader, someone who truly cared about and developed their people but also someone who's very transparent, who if I'm not happy with what the work you're giving me, I will let you know right away, right to your face. Um, because if that were me, that's what I would like to know is, whoops, I made a mistake or I'm not meeting your expectations. How do I correct that? Versus letting it just linger or suffer or not care enough about the employee to say they probably want to do their best work. They just don't know it. So I usually liken the advice to your, your career kind of rests on a three-legged stool. And as you make shifts in your career, you can always swap out one of the three legs, but trying to do two at once is very precarious. Um, so for instance, moving from finance into a general management role, I stayed with the same business unit. So my business acumen and my network did not change. My function of what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis absolutely did change, but I was only changing one of those legs of the stool. Then when I moved into more of a marketing director and, and being doing marketing day in and day out, Again, I was changing that domain expertise, but my network and my um, uh, you know, uh, expertise kind of remained the same in that IoT space. When I moved into sales, it was for Internet of Things. So again, I tried to, you introduce some change over time. Like I tell people, if you're an expert in product management and you don't like the company you're with, get a product management role at the new company because you're an expert at product management. You'll do great. You'll amaze them. You'll wow them. Now that you're in and you're building your network, now you can shift to marketing or engineering or whatever else it, it may be. But again, you're only changing one of those legs of the stools at a time. So talk a little bit more about the legs of the stool. So what are those? It's, it's uh, your, your domain, your skill set, your network. What are the other? It's domain experience. It's your functional experience. So kind of what you're doing day in and day out, whether it be accounting or engineering or finance, marketing, um, PR. And then the third leg is the network. 
Um, so really looking at that, you know, and saying, do I have, you know, at Intel, it was the internal network to know that, okay, I'm moving into a new role, but I could always phone a friend and get some advice and say, what would you think about this? Or what do you think the gotchas might be? Um, again, when you learn to know yourself really well, you also know what might be your blind sides or your areas where I'm just never going to be the most detail-oriented person. Um, so how do I make sure that I surround myself with peers and advocates and, and employees on my staff that are detail-oriented, that are the opposite of me, so that I can make sure that between the two of us, we've got it covered? So part of the, how do you apply or how did you apply the transparency of giving people direct and immediate feedback with the politics of a huge company? I think some of it is, again, trying to control as much as you can the circumstances. You know, I'm not into filleting somebody in front of 20 people. It's like, okay, let's talk after the meeting. You know, um, pull them aside, say, okay, that didn't go the way we really wanted it to go, did it? And asking the person, what would you do differently? What do you think I'm thinking? You know, and, and trying to draw it out of them because, again, a lot of times they know themselves, okay, here's what I would, here's where I started to go south on that presentation. Um, and, and really, again, that will be more meaningful to them than me going, here are the five things you did wrong, now shape up and get out of here, you know, because that, to me, it doesn't build the relationship. Um, if, I always say feedback is a gift and you can't return it, there's no receipt. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> that's a really good one. But it also means that you, you should do it in a way that's caring and, again, isn't there to destroy the relationship between the manager and the employee. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. I mean, the next thing they're going to do is, within a big company, rotate away from working for you. Right. And I learned a hard way as a first-time manager of the, oh, boy, you know, if you're a little too direct and, and do it in a way where they're not going to be receptive, nobody's going to want to work for you. Got it. Trust Feedback is a gift that you cannot return. There is no receipt. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> How long did it take you to, to sort of figure out the three-legged stool? Um, I would say a good 10, 15 years in. And again, some of this is through lots of help and coaching. Um, you know, nobody ever gets anywhere by themselves. So it's, it's starting to have people in your network that will again say, well, think about that more. Come back and... I'm a very action-oriented, very quick, think off the cuff, and so having somebody tell me to go spend more time reflecting and being crisp and concise about my thoughts, that's actually been a good development for me. Um, so, so it's a really kind of, again, mulling these things over. I always say that you've got to have some sort of activity that allows you to get into more of a meditative state, whether it be running, you know, that mindless, and when you're running, you're kind of working the problems out in your brain. Some people, it's you know, uh, swimming, some people it's, you know, meditating for real. Uh, but either way, it's, it's like you have to get into that spot where you kind of mull things over and go, okay, what would I do differently? How would I approach it? Maybe I try something different because trying the same darn thing over and over again is like a, it's banging your head on a wall. You're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Yeah. So I just say with the politics too, it's like looking at people's motivations and thinking through not only do I have to get the task done, but are there ways that I can, you know, create these positive relationship benefits as well. Talk to you, especially this group, a little bit more about the power of the network. We were, um, I was on a call this morning with my team, and we were, just, uh, we were reading through articles that were saying, you know, the more and more successful people talk, the more and more they talk about having the right people around you that you can ping, that you can have um, push back on you, that you can learn from. But mm -hmm. talk about your experience with that. Um, so I, I look at it and say, to me, network is paying it forward. And sometimes, I think very long term with what mm -hmm. I do, always say yes and kind of help somebody because I might someday be that person needing help. Um, the great example of this is, you know, four or five years ago to dinner at, in New York, I met the CIO of Quick Trip. And she said, you know, I really like the way you think. Um, could I use you as a sounding board? Could I call you every now and then when I'm hearing two or three squirrely things from suppliers and you're from the tech industry, you could kind of tell me what's the truth and what's the marketing spiel. 
Um, and I said, yeah, sure. What's a phone call every now and then, you know? So we'd talk maybe two, three times a year on the phone. Um, all of a sudden in fall of, of 2016, she calls me and I remember I was in the Heathrow airport at the time and she says, I hope you're sitting down because I want to ask you, can I put your name in to be on our board of directors? And I went, oh my God, okay, sure. But, you know, I was like, here's all the reasons why it wouldn't work. You know, I don't know if Intel will let me do it. I don't know. And she's like, will you just stop? And do you hear yourself talking? She's like, shut up and go through the process. You know, and I was like, thank you. Okay, I need it. Um, so I followed it through the process and even Intel did even approve it. Um, so that surprised me. But in the end of the day, it was my network that brought that opportunity to me. And she said, my CEO wants to fill a seat with someone with a tech mindset. So he came to her as CIO. And she said, knowing that you've wanted to do this for years beyond boards and you've done some smaller ones or nonprofits, I think you'd be the perfect person. Um, so I went through their process and it worked out. But uh, I look at that and say, if I hadn't taken all those phone calls over three, four years, then we wouldn't know each other well. She wouldn't know to recommend me. Uh, you mentioned angel investing. Yeah. How did you establish an interest in that? And what type of things are you looking for? Um, gosh, I want to say 10 plus years ago, I'd heard about it. I mentally didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, and then five years ago, when I met a woman, uh, Kathy Lynn Culato, she's pretty active with the startup community in Phoenix. She said, well, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? And I said, well, I don't know when the time frame is, but someday I see myself retiring from Intel and but not sitting on my hands. I, I got to be, you know, intellectually challenged all the time. So I said, I'd love to do boards and be an angel investor. And she said, well, why are you waiting on the angel investing thing? You could do it now. And I said, really? I mean, I don't have millions and millions of dollars to play around. And she said, oh, no, it's like 25K. So she connected me with Jim Golka, who's the managing director of Arizona Tech Investors, um, which is one of the big angel groups. There's actually Grand Canyon has an angel group as well. I run it. Oh, great. Absolutely. Okay, so okay. I coordinate with Jim very yeah, closely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so I, I started out with ATI um, in 2000. 2013, I guess. Yeah. And um, then he pulled me into the selection committee because he said, you're asking all the hard, pithy questions, but they're in the general member meeting. And he's like, I would have rather you ask those earlier in the process and we get a different mix of uh, company. When I joined that selection committee, I didn't know I was the first woman to be on the selection committee. So I start doing due diligence presentations to the group and they're like, all right, a woman presenting. <laughs> and so I was like, really? Okay. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lot, learned how to value companies, learned what to look for on a term sheet, how to go back to some of these companies and say, we're this close to a deal, but you just need to change a few terms and, and see if they take the feedback or not. And, um, yeah. So yeah, we haven't had any big payouts yet. I think we, we're, we're invested in Campus Logic, which is Greg Scoresby's company. And we got offered to get off the cap table at 3.8x and we said, no, I think we'll wait a little bit more for like a 5 to 10x. So we'll see. Hopefully that wasn't a bad idea. <laughs> so, they uh, seem to be chugging along really well, so yeah, we'll see. Well, we'd love to have you as well in Canyon yeah. Angels anytime. Yeah. In fact, yeah. there is a, this next Wednesday, we're sponsoring here, it's through Conscious Capitalism, but it's oh, yeah, an open yeah. forum to grow the number of investors, angel oh, investors in the Valley. Okay. And Sandra Watson from the ACA, she's our keynote. Okay. We're kicking off at 2 o'clock. We've got Jim, myself, Curtis. Mm -hmm. Curtis yeah, I know Desert, Desert Angels, Angels, yeah. And Gary Gibbons, who runs Thunderbird Angels, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. has been a bit dormant, but yeah. is coming back into the fray. And we're all collaborating oh, great. about how do we grow the community? How do we get more yes. people involved in early stage investing? Because it's... They estimate 140,000 millionaires in the Valley, and yet those that participate in angel groups, you're talking maybe 200, 300? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I've just started bringing it up. So I was telling him I was at an event last night, Upward, which is an audience of women that are director level and above from across the Valley. Um, and I said, you know, we need topics like either a lunch and learn or a dinner on what's it like to be an angel investor. Know that, okay, 
it's a 25k ask over a two-year period a lot of people could do that you know you have to self-certify what does that mean um, so happy to educate more people on the definition of what it is and how to get involved and and get more you know I think when I joined with Jim the team was like 56 investors and now we're hitting almost 100 so um, it's growing which is great that's awesome. So, well, we'd love to have your input there. Yeah. Exciting. Any other questions? Thoughts? Well, what we'd like to uh, close the show with, with is if you could make one plea, knowing that everyone in the world would hear it, what would that plea be? So I thought long and hard on this, and I came back with life is short. You better enjoy every day. Wow. I love it. I do love that. Yeah. Very true. That is very, 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 very true. Excellent. So, Tari, what have we forgotten to talk about today? Uh, very quickly, I'd love to get your thoughts on just the idea. I was with um, some, having lunch with someone yesterday who um, is also another angel investor, and she was talking about just the, one, the lack of women. But um, when pitching, there she has yet to – she's been through, she said, about 50 pitches in Arizona, not a single female founder wow. on, on stage. What are your thoughts on that? We've seen a few. Um, and actually, I think Jim has been great. We just had this last cycle. I was advocating one that was a female CEO out of the Bay Area, and Jim jumped in to help um, advocate. And we said, okay, let's add the company as a fourth. And it actually did better than the one the team had ranked as third when, when it came to seeing who from the member base wanted to invest. Um, so I've been struggling with this one because I've been approached by some women to say, let's start a women-only angel group. And I, and I get back to the, what problem are we trying to solve? What does that do? Because being on the selection committee, I see very few credible women CEO pitches that come in that don't get moved on to membership for consideration. Hmm. I can only think of one or two. Um, and then I can even think of some that did come to the member meeting that weren't really all that great, but we kind of gave them a little bit of a hall pass. So I go, at least with our local group, now I've seen the stats nationwide, and it does say for whatever reason, you know, the women-owned companies are not getting the financing the way the male-owned companies are. And yet when you look at like Golden Seeds and other research that they've done is, is that women uh, founders or women-owned companies actually over time do a better return mm. than than just purely male, you know. And I think some of it is the diversity of thought that happens in a startup and, and the different skill sets. So, you know, I, I go in the long run, we want to encourage it, but I also, I don't know if it means just you need to start another group. I think it's let's beef up the funnels and make sure people are getting due consideration. Um, give them the feedback if they're not making the cut, and then bring them back. That's good. Okay. Yeah, we have uh, a woman CEO pitching as one of our four okay. next uh, Thursday. All so right. Other right. sense if you've come across it. Yes, well. yes. She's great. Okay. Good. Excellent. Anything that you would like to share? Where where could people find you if they wanted to learn more about you? Um, though I do now have a website, actually, um, www.tinsleyretailinsights.com. Um, and that uh, basically shares kind of what consulting type of work I'll be doing with my customers, hopefully retailers, uh, like a quick trip. They, they have me on a project right now. Um, and then I'm also, though, getting pinged by technology partners in the retail industry to say, hey, we want to break into retail. We want to, you know, get these customers. How do we partner with you? Um, so I'm open to that as well. Um, I define retail fairly broadly. So I look at retail banking, um, hospitality, specialty retail and event venues. Um, so I do a newsletter every month, uh, and again, you can subscribe from the website, uh, but it'll basically go through those four segments, what's hot and now, and then also I, I do a tech deep dive, uh, one different technology every, every quarter. So last time it was augmented reality, virtual reality, this time it's going to be personalization. Um, and so, you know, interesting little tidbits, and uh, you know, I'm building my, my follower base, and then LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, I also tweet. 
Um, so yeah, I'm now using Hootsuite to manage all this stuff because it's just me and a few cats and my husband, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> the cats are very little help. <laughs> that's just a technology-oriented question. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence and its advancement and quantum computing? Intel just announced 49 qubits, yeah. 70 qubits. So I think the funny part with artificial intelligence is a lot of people are using it and getting benefits from it today. They just don't even know. Um, and so I do think there will be a lot more advances in the space. Another technology, I mean, I, I look and go, yeah, it'll just get more and more pervasive. So if people are using Alexa, you're using artificial intelligence. If you're using Waze, you're using artificial intelligence. Uh, so those are just some real mainstream examples. But also you look at it in healthcare, for instance, as they try to get much more dialed in on specific diagnoses down to the person level. You think about the types of changes there will be in the pharma uh, you know, community around not just chemotherapies, but even things like um, drugs to help your immune system. Those are all very you know, tailored to the individual. Um, I, I look at it and say I'm excited personally about things like distributed ledger technology because um, being from Finn and pay tech, you know, payments technology, I just think there's so much potential there. Not that you're going to pay in Walmart or Quick Trip, you know, because right now it's 20 minutes to get the blockchain to verify the transaction. It's more things like the traceability of the food supply. So if there's E. coli with these strawberries, you know, yeah. within 15 minutes what farm it came from and all the steps in between and you can halt you know distributing it further and getting more people sick um, yeah and you look at it and just say you know border to border transactions you're getting rid of the middleman uh, closing a house why do we go sign paperwork and wait two days to get the keys it, I should be able to by the end of signing all that paperwork get the keys and walk home um, so you know there's use cases like that where I just go it's ready now um, and then we'll just see more pervasiveness as it goes well, and quantum computers Quantum computers, I mean, yeah, that's probably the next frontier. I, I look and go, if we've gone from, you know, me learning how to use a mouse to now wearing, <laughs> you know, the equivalent of a mainframe, you're like, what am I going to do? Like, my clothing will have computing in it someday. You know, am I going to strap on every day, you know, three mainframes? I don't know. But it's really interesting. Or we just fly ourselves to wherever we're going. I don't you know, we'll have human drone packs that we put on or something. So I'm just trying to think what could happen in the next 5, 10, 20 years. It'll be exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Wow. Yeah. Would you wear a human drone pack, Centauri? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, after it's been tested for a really long time, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I was going to say that's a pretty fast answer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid of heights, so I think I'd be flying like three feet above the ground. <laughs> I should have asked the obvious question. Would you use one of the electric skateboards right now? What's, what's an, like, what, what is that? It's a skateboard that's electric. I, well, I can't skateboard, so no, I would. I, I, I'd try it. Oh, okay. I would try it. I don't think I'd, 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 I'd probably try baby it. steps with the electric skateboard <laughs> yeah. before you go. Let me try up. like an actual skateboard, okay. and then we'll try that. Yeah. How about you, Michelle? Would you? I have never been good at sideways sports, so okay. snowboarding, any of the like the, the skateboarding. <laughs> any, I, I need to take my sports head on. So I think I would just say no. Maybe oh, if they had so skates good. or blades, you know, where it could be. See yeah. where I'm going? Uh, well, now I'm trying to think about other sideways sports. <laughs> wakeboarding. I know I tried okay. wakeboarding, and that was a disaster. <laughs> That's nice. Funny. All right, great. Well, thanks as always for listening. Sure. Uh, tell a friend, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. As always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. <laughs>